Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us how Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and what the presence of the Lord in our lives should be. This message is available for free download at friendshipwithgod.org. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for inviting us into your treasure house, opening up your chest of treasures, and giving to us, as the hymn says, jewels rich and rare. Father, do open our eyes from the distractions of this world, Lord, and let us see our blessed Lord Jesus in the scriptures this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, uh, Genesis 4, we came to a new chapter today. Congratulations to me. I don't know. Anyway, so here we are in Genesis 4, and we're going to continue now. So I'm going to read this so we get the overview and get the flavor here. Genesis 4, beginning of verse 1. And Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain, and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. And she again bare his brother Abel. And Abel was a keeper of the sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. In a process of time it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel he also brought of the firstlings of his flock, and of the fat thereof, and the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering, but unto Cain and to his offering he had no respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance full, and the Lord said, Cain, why art thou wroth, and why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shall not thou be accepted, and if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door, and unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him." And Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and slew him. And the Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, What hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground, and now art thou cursed from the earth, and which hath opened her mouth to receive thy brother's blood from thy hand, and thou... When thou tillest the ground, it shall not henceforth yield unto thee your strength. A fugitive and a vagabond shalt thou be in the earth. And Cain said unto the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, thou hast driven me out this day from the face of the earth, and from thy face shall I be hid. And I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond in the earth, and it shall come to pass, every one that findeth me shall slay me. The Lord said unto him, Therefore, whosoever slayeth Cain, Vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark upon Cain, lest any finding him should kill him. And Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. And Cain knew his wife. She conceived bear Enoch. And he built a city and called the name of the city which he, and after his son Enoch. And unto Enoch were born Ired and Ired, Mahujel and Mahujel, begat Methusiel, and Methusiel begat Lamech, and Lamech took unto him two wives, the name of the one was Ada, the name of the one Zilhah, and Ada bare Jibel. He was the father of such as dwell in tents and such as of cattle, and his brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all such as handle the harp and organ. And Zilhah, she also bare Tubal-Cain, an instructor of every artificer of brass and iron, and the sister of Tubal-Cain was Naama. And Lamech said unto his wives, Adan Zilha, Hear my voice, you wives of Lamech. Hearken unto my speech, for I have slain a man to my wounding and a young man to my hurt. If Cain shall be avenged sevenfold, to Lamech seventy and sevenfold. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bare a son and called his name Seth. For God said, 
she hath appointed me another seed instead of Abel, whom Cain slew. And to Seth, to him also there was born a son, and he called his name Enos. Then began man to call upon the name of the Lord. Wonderful passage. Okay, now a little bit of review. Last week we saw when the marriage was shattered, which it was, between Adam and Eve, immediately we saw God move in and brought about situations that brought Adam and Eve to find new appreciations for each other. We saw how God immediately announced the Redeemer was going to come through Eve, and when God did that for Adam, he found in Eve, Adam did, a new appreciation for his wife. And we saw how God made Eve to see in Adam a protector, a guide, and she saw in Adam something new, a new appreciation. So from what God did, we saw last week, immediately to rebuild this broken, shattered marriage, we come to understand something about God. What is it? That no one cares for our marriages more than God does. That's true. No one wants our marriages to survive more than God does. No one wants to make a husband and wife find new appreciations for each other more than God does. And that's God. And then we saw last week how God was a great encourager to Eve. I mean, Eve, last week we saw that God had compassion on Eve. I mean, Eve was depressed. I mean, she brought this deadly rebellion against God. She brought it in. She dragged her husband into this in her death. She destroyed their marriage. She had every reason. She brought death into the world. She had every reason to call herself the mother of all death. Very depressing for poor Eve. But God saw that, and God stepped right in, as he did, made the greatest promise to her that the rescuer, the redeemer, was going to come. And he said, through you, Eve, it's going to come through you. We'll call him, among the other join all the glorious names. We'll call him the seed of the woman. And so that brought to Adam a new appreciation, a special title. And then he turns to her and says, oh, you're now the mother of all living. See? Now, God didn't have to do that. He didn't have to do that for Eve, but he did. And it teaches us something about God. He wants to deliver us from depression. God wants to deliver us from depression. Sin is depressing. I mean, she had sinned. Sin is depressing. And no one wants us to be delivered more from the depression of sin than God does. And we saw him doing that with Adam and Eve. So, there we go. So you're kind of facing this direction here. And it was the things that were behind that paralyzed Adam and Eve. It was the things that were behind him and her that depressed them. And what was behind them? It was the memory of them taking that fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then the thought that comes behind it, why did I do that? And then what was behind them? It was the memory of their conversation, or her conversation, with the serpent, along with her saying, why did I do that? Why did I listen to him? Why didn't I cut him off? It was the giving in that was behind her to the serpent, along with the, why did I do that? It was for Adam letting Eve push him, or hearkening, as God put it, to the voice of his wife, pushing him into it all along the way, and Adam sitting there saying, why did I do that? And all those things are what the Bible calls 
things which are behind. Those were things which were behind. And the promise of the coming seed of the woman, the promise of the crushing of the head of the serpent, all those things are what the Bible calls things which are before. See? Things which are before. And God tells us what to do with the things which are behind and what to do with the things which are before. And he says that in Philippians 3.13, where Paul says, Brethren, I count not myself to have been apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. That's what we're going to see happen here in the life of these two children of God, Adam and Eve. And we're going to see them forgetting the things that are behind and reaching forth. That's the message. That's what we're going to see. It's so exciting to see them come out of this darkness of the things which are behind into the light of the things which are in front of them, out of the darkness of the things that depress them and give them reason to be depressed, and pressing forward into the light of the things that encourage them. That's God. So why should we do that? We should follow this pattern like Adam and Eve did here, the children of God, because that's what God does. In Micah seven nineteen, it says, Thou wilt cast all their sin into the depths of the sea. He didn't say just the sea, but into the depths of the sea. Very deep water. It goes to very deep water, drops it down there. And then it says in Jeremiah 31, 34, I will forgive their iniquity and I'll remember their sin no more. I just can't remember it. I can't remember it. I can't remember a lot of things. But God says, this is something I will purposefully forget. Their sins, I will remember them no more. It says in Isaiah 38, 17, Thou hast cast all my sins behind thy back. Not in front of me, I can't see him. He doesn't frame our sins and put it on his nightstand so you can see it all the time. That's not what God does. Isaiah 43, 25. I am he that blotteth out thy transgressions. And God's eraser is actually a whiteout. That's what God uses, whiteout. He uses holy whiteout. Because it covers it. And that's what he says in Psalm 85 too. Thou hast covered all their sin. Covered. And he says in Psalm 103 verse 12, As far as the east, where is the east? Well, I don't know where the east is. But as if east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. You know why he didn't say as far as the north is from the south? Because if you travel to the north, you keep going to come back to the south again, see? But if you go east, and you'll never come back to the west, because you always go something like that. Anyway, he said, as far as the east is from the west, you'll never come back to him again. I have removed your transgressions from you. So if God does all that, depths of the sea, behind his back, blot it out, cover it, put it behind his back, as far as the east is from the west, that's the things that are past. That's what he calls on us to do as well. That's our sin. God wants us to forget them, forget them, and because he's buried them, you know? So we don't want to sneak out at night into the cemetery where no one's looking to dig them up again, you know? God says, I buried them. Let them stay there. And instead, look forward. Look forward to what? Well, for Adam and Eve, new opportunities to serve him, new, new opportunity to bring good into the world. Heaven 
a land of righteousness. And so that's what he did. Now, we come to chapter 4, verse 1, which is the start of a new section, so to speak, but it has a very strong tie-in with chapter 3. And what many people do here is they come to chapter 4, and they come to, like, verse 16, and they say, oh, boy, here we go. Here we come with the begats, the borns and the begats, you know, so pass the pillow, and I'll wake up when it gets to chapter 6. Then it'll get interesting again, you know. And uh, I don't want you to do that. We must not check out on this because God didn't say, well, i got to put this someplace. I guess I'll just slide it in here. That's not the way it worked. These chapters are a continuation of chapter 3. It's all tying together because the key to seeing the importance of these chapters, and look at it, is the chapter 3, verse 15 again. Very important. God says here, I'll put enmity between thee and the woman, thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, it shall bruise his heel. This vital verse here, which it is, begins to unfold for us a very important mystery. It's a mystery. What's it the mystery of? What did God say that there was going to be two of in verse 15? What's the word? Seeds, right? Let's say it's two seeds. Her, thy seed, her seed. Two seeds? Two seeds. Okay? They're called the seed of the serpent. Thy seed. He's talking to the serpent. And the seed of the woman. Okay? So there we have it. The seed of the woman. That's the Messiah. He's going to come and crush the head of the serpent. The Messiah is the seed of the woman. That's the seed of God. Now what does it say that the relationship is going to be between these two seeds? It's bad. Yeah, warfare. Enmity. The Bible has always these majestic understatements or says so much without saying a lot. Anyways, enmity, warfare, opposed to each other. Tom, today you spoke about some of the most tragic words in the Bible, which are, and Cain went out from the presence of the Lord, found in Genesis chapter 4. What is the presence of the Lord, and what are the implications for Cain when he left the presence of the Lord? Right. Well, that's right. And those are words that cause us all to shudder with fear in our soul as we realize what Cain did when it says that very simple statement that he went out from the presence of the Lord. What we see the presence of the Lord is from the passage is that it's a place from where God calls. That was the place where God called out to Cain and asked him the question. The presence of the Lord in our lives, and we can think of our daily quiet times, is the place from where God calls us to come and to talk with him and for him to talk with us. The second part we see about the presence of the Lord is that that was a place where God asked Cain about Abel. So that's a place of accountability. So for us to come into the presence of the Lord, we have to recognize and be prepared to deal with our sin. That for to deal with the with the sinful words or the thoughts or the acts that we've done, the thoughts especially as we come before God. And that's where the phrase keep short accounts with God. And so how do we keep a short account of God? Because when we go into the presence of the Lord, we find that this is a place of accountability. This is a place where we confess to God what we've done wrong or said or thought wrong and get rid of it, forsake it. So it's a place of accountability. 
we also find that it is a place that is not foreign to us because we've heard other people talk about the presence of the Lord, and no doubt Cain heard his parents, Adam and Eve, talk about the presence of the Lord. So it's a place where others have talked about We also find that this is a place where God speaks. When we see here Cain and God together, we see God speaking to Cain. And we don't realize the great privilege that we have as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, that when we come to this marvelous book of God, the Bible, and open it up, and we read that we can hear in ourselves, in our spirits, God speaking to us. And when these thoughts continue to come through uh, to us throughout the day of the verses and the parts where God has spoken to us, the most wonderful thing of all is to sit back and just to meditate on the fact, God spoke to me. God speaks. That's what happens in the presence of the Lord. It's a place where God speaks. And then when we see God speaking to Cain, we find there a picture of God really trying to help Cain. He remember that was the place where even before he murdered his brother, God said to him that sin was lying at the door and that he shouldn't yield himself to it, that he should resist it. And then afterward, after he had murdered his his brother, God wanted Cain to come contrite, repentful, full of repentance, sorry for his sin, so there could be a repair for Cain. So this is a place of help. This is the presence of the Lord is where God helps us. And when we come into God's presence in prayer, that's a time when we ought to realize that we're coming to a person who wants to help us. We're coming with all the needs of our heart. We're coming with all of our, our, our sins and our potentials and our, our proneness to want to leave God and to want to go do our own independent walking. And those are all sins and those are all debilitations. But God says, look, I want to help you. Let me help you. So the presence of the Lord is a place where God helps. And as we mentioned before, God's intention with Cain was that Cain should be saved from his sins. That's always God's agenda for man. God calls his work of judgment a strange work. He calls it a strange act. And in the Hebrew, that's exactly Exactly the same name that is used for the stranger or the alien. And as far as judgment goes, it's strange. It's like an alien to him. He doesn't like to do it. He does it because he's holy, but he doesn't like to do it. He much rather delights that there should be reconciliation and restoration. That's why we call our ministry Israel Restoration, and that there should be friendship with God from that place. So the presence of the Lord is a place where friendship with God is established. It's a place of reconciliation between God and man. And that's also a place where lives are changed, where changed lives happen. And Abel was dead. Cain had, sl- had killed him. But this was a chance now for Cain to get a new life, a changed life, that the old man Cain should be said no to 
and that the new man, Cain in the Lord Jesus Christ, should be born, this new man should be born there in the presence of the Lord, and that Cain should have a changed life. So the presence of the Lord is a place where lives or changes in life happened. And then the presence of the Lord is a place where self is denied and God is glorified. Sin, the great error of the wicked, the essential sin is P-R-I-D-E, pride. And to walk into the presence of the Lord and to say, oh God, I don't think you know who you're talking to. I'm so great. And let me just go through all the great, wonderful things I've done. That's to not be able to to come into the presence of the Lord. Because a person to come into the presence of the Lord has to humble himself, has to say no to self, has to deny himself and be, be and have a desire to glorify God. So that's a place where self is denied and God is glorified. And that's a place also where God gives man the ability through his Holy Spirit to produce fruit, the fruit of the Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit is essentially good works. So we have no ability in and of ourselves to produce good works for God. But good works are a good thing, and God wants good works. And the only way that we can bring forth good works is when we say no to self, when self dies, when the Holy Spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ comes inside of us as his temple, and when he produces the good works in us. And the presence of the Lord is where we find that place where we gain ability to glorify God through good works. And the presence of the Lord was what Cain needed so much, was a place of peace. There was so much turmoil, so much distress in Cain's life, but Cain needed so much peace. That's found in the presence of the Lord. And the presence of the Lord is a place that is chosen. You choose whether or not you will go into the presence of the Lord and stay there. I choose whether or not I will go into the presence of the Lord and stay there. That's a place that God does not force us into, but that every person can choose to go into. And tragically, as this verse is said, that's a place that can be left. That's a place that can be gone out from the presence of the Lord, as we saw in the case of Cain when it says, and Cain went out from the presence of the Lord. So what we see is that that's a place that can be left. But praise God, thank God, we are all like sheep. Isaiah 53, 6. We've gone astray. Everyone has turned his own way. And that's not only for the person before he becomes a Christian, but also for the person after he's a Christian. And the presence of the Lord is a place that can be returned to. It can be returned to because David went out also from the presence of the Lord when he committed that horrible sin in murdering the husband of Bathsheba and committing adultery with her. But 
he found, thank God, repentance, and he found that way back to the presence of the Lord when he confessed his sin as saying, against thee and thee only have I sinned. When he came to God and said, oh God, create in me a new heart, he found the place of return. So just as it's possible to leave the presence of the Lord, it's also possible to return to the presence of the Lord. But tragically, History shows us through the example of Cain that that place, once it is left, is very rarely returned to. And that's a great warning. It's a place where oftentimes people take that inspiration into their lungs and say, no longer will I have this man or this God rule over me. I will go out and establish myself in the earth. I will go out and make a name for myself like the people who built the Tower of Babel. I will go out and make a great reputation. I will go out and prove that life can be great without God. I will do the great experiment of defiance in the face of God to say to God, I don't need you. And how foolish man is to do that, to take such a position. But tragically, it's possible. May it never be said of any of us that we went out from the presence of the Lord. Thank you for joining us today. Would you like to order any of Tom Cantor's books, DVDs, tracks, or information? You can by going to friendshipwithgod.org. There you'll find a resource section that will take you to our online bookstore with materials on evangelism, creationism, and the Jewish people, and even Bibles that will be available for you to order online. So go to friendshipwithgod.org and look under the resource section, and there you'll find all of Tom Cantor's materials and writings. Tom Cantor has also written our monthly resource, and it's called Understanding the Jewish Messiah and the History of the Jewish People Through the Life of Joseph. This book is an incredible study of the scriptures. It's great for any Gentile believer or any Jewish unbeliever. So call us today at 1-800-247-3051. That's 1-800-247-3051. 1-800-247-3051.